Okay, friends, stand with me to honor God's word as we read it today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Here's what God's word says. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Is this God's word? Is it true? Should we obey it? Is it best for us? Amen. Have a seat. It was 1975 when American Express first came out with their famous slogan. Anybody know what it is? Don't leave home without it. My brother with a photographic memory back there. 1975, it was first started with, uh, I don't even know what these things are, cashier's checks? You know what those are? If, stop laughing at me. I'll teach you how to use the internet one day, all right? Oh, bazinga. Cashier's checks is what that first started out with. Don't leave home without them. But then it changed to don't leave home without it when it turned over to the credit card, right? It's what you don't leave home without because if you get into a jam, you just have your Amex card and you take care of all your problems. My wife and I don't leave home without three things. No, it's not our children, actually. Because sometimes, sometimes we just leave them at home by themselves. No, we don't do that, by the way. They're only six and three. It is wallet, phone, keys. That's what we say. We'll say those three things when we're going on a trip. Maybe we, we'll forget our luggage on a trip, right, Dennis? But we'll, we'll get those three things, a phone, wallet, keys. We'll say those things to each other. Don't forget those three things. Well, here in this passage... It's, he gives us three things that we're supposed to not leave home without. Three things that he says we're supposed to always do these three things as followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're off the hook. But if you're a follower of Jesus today, he calls us to do these three things. And he tells us what they are. The first one is this. He says, rejoice always. If you're a note taker, take out your bulletin and write on the back here, rejoice always is the first thing that he says. It's the point is exactly what's in the text, isn't it? It says it in verse 16, rejoice always. Rejoice, it's this feeling or showing great joy or delight. Notice how frequently he says to do it. Rejoice sometimes. Rejoice when you like it. <laughs> rejoice how often? Always. always. I wish that wasn't in there. Philippians 4.4 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice, as if we didn't hear it the first time, right? I'm going to say it again, rejoice always. Does it just mean to be happy all the time? Because I don't think that's quite realistic, do you? Be happy all the time? Well, other times in the Bible we're actually told to mourn. It says this in James chapter 4, verse 9, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to dancing. That's a command for people who are living in sin. Mourn and weep in Romans 12, 15. We're told to weep with those who weep, to associate with them. In Ecclesiastes, it says there's a time to weep and a time to mourn, right? So how in the world are we supposed to rejoice always if there's other scriptures that say that we should actually weep and mourn, and also with the reality that there are some things you just don't really want to rejoice about, right? 
Things that have happened to you in your life that you're thinking, I'm not happy about that, you know? I'm not giddy <laughs> about some of the things that happened in my life. And yet God says to rejoice always. There are people who get pleasure from pain. These are people who are called sadists. And God is not telling us to be sadistic here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Consider the situation the Thessalonians were in when they received this letter originally. We talked about a man named Jason last week from Acts chapter 17 who was dragged into the city streets and ridiculed publicly and forced to pay this fine in order to be released, it seems like. And, and they're experiencing persecution from these people who did not hold to the faith of them and they hated them and their culture. And, and some of them had lost loved ones and they were unsure about their resurrection and rejoice always. I'm not seeing how this is possible. This rejoicing goes beyond being bubbly. (laughs) This is deeper than just giddiness, like if the Lions were to actually have a decent team every now and then, you know, or or you get a a nice sale at your favorite store or something, you know, I'm so happy. This is different than that, isn't it? It's something much deeper than that. It's something that is underneath and supporting Everything else that happens in your life, so that when those difficult things happen, you're still actually able to rejoice, even with tears. Rejoice always. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4 to rejoice insofar as we share Christ's sufferings. If you're suffered for the name of Christ, rejoice, he says. Jesus tells us to do this in Matthew 5 when he said that people, when people revile, persecute, and tell lies about you, we should rejoice. How about Philippians chapter 2? Paul told the church at Philippi, here's a crazy one, because the other ones were crazy enough for you. He's telling this church at Philippi, he, he, even if he was going to be poured out as a drink offering, he said, he was glad and he rejoiced. He's talking about losing his life for their sake. Even if I lose my life for your sake... I will be glad and I will rejoice. And he says, and I hope you rejoice too. Rejoice always. Rejoicing is a choice more than it is a feeling. Rejoicing is often more of a choice than it is a feeling. Sometimes you just have to decide, I'm going to believe that Romans 8.28 is true. That God does work all things together for the good of those who love the Lord. And it doesn't feel true all the time, does it? (laughs) But I'm going to choose to believe that it's true and I'm going to rejoice in the reality that God knows what he's doing even when I don't see it. Rejoicing, this deep conviction that God is going to work out everything for the good of those who love the Lord. There are different kinds of photographs. A lens with this zoom and enables you to super focus. If you got the new iPhone, you get the portrait mode, you know, and you can just focus in on this one thing and then everything else fades in the background, you know. You've seen a picture like that before, it's just super focused in on this one thing. But then you got this uh, picture called a panoramic. I learned about how to do a panoramic this week, and it's not actually one picture, you actually take multiple pictures and then paste them together on the computer so that you can see this vast display, this huge, broad picture, perhaps of a skyline or a countryside, something like that. Have you seen the picture like that before? The way that we can rejoice 
is to take our eyes off of this one thing that's zoomed in that seems so huge to us right now, this horrible thing that's happened, and back up a little bit. Zoom out. You need to have this panoramic perspective, church family, of what God is doing in your life. Amen? You've got to see the promises of God before they actually occur in your life. You zoom out and you believe what God's word says, this is going to be good. This part over here is blurry. I'll I'll do it from your perspective in the future. It's blurry over here. I don't see exactly what it's going to be like, but I know that it's good. And I am not, I'm choosing not to focus on this one event that is frustrating or difficult or angering me or disappointing or hurting me that's right here in front of my face. No more. What's that view called again? For the iPhone? I just forgot. No more portrait mode. Time for a panoramic view. Rejoice always. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about how you can rejoice and how it is that God's word says that you can actually rejoice in suffering. And I want you to look at Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. Here it is on God's word. You can turn there in your Bibles. Paul says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Rejoice in hope of of the glory of God. God. Paul is rejoicing and saying that we can rejoice because we have hope that one day we will receive the glory of God. Jesus says, I have given them my glory when he prayed to his father in John chapter 17. We rejoice in hope that one day we will taste the glory of God. Amen. You excited about that? The glory of God where there is no pain or sorrow or disappointment or tears. It is complete joy in the glory of God, the Father himself forever in heaven. Amen. Looking forward to that. We rejoice in hope that that's going to happen. And here's how you can rejoice in sufferings. Look at what his, look at what his thought process is here. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why in the world are you doing that, Paul? Here's why. Knowing, because he knows something, that suffering produces endurance. If you're a real Christian, you will endure through suffering. Suffering enables you to become somebody who endures. Endurance produces character. You're growing to be more like Christ through your suffering as you endure. And character produces hope. The more you become more like Christ through your sufferings, the more hope you have because it's evidence that you are on your way to glory. So then you rejoice in suffering because suffering eventually results in you becoming more like Jesus, giving you more and more and more hope. Suffering is the means for your hope to grow. It's how your hope grows, friends is in the soil of suffering. And so you rejoice in suffering because you believe the promises of God that this suffering is not going to send you to hell. He will not let your soul be lost, but he is actually going to grow you into the image of Christ through the suffering and to grow your hope in the process. So in the same way that you rejoice in hope of the glory of God, you rejoice in suffering because it is going to result in more hope for the glory of God. Amen? This is how you rejoice in suffering. And this is why you rejoice always, always. Second thing he tells us to do, pray without ceasing. Write this down, pray without ceasing. Rejoice 
Always, second thing, right there in verse 17, pray without ceasing. It's another imperative, isn't it? The NIV translates it, pray continually. Other scriptures say the same things. Romans 12, verse 12, it says, be constant in prayer. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, Lord, how am I supposed to be in the church building on my knees all the time? That doesn't seem practical. I have to eat, Lord. I have to make money, God. So how is this going to work? I don't get it. Perhaps we should rethink what we think about when we think prayer is. Think of prayer more of, more of a conversation with God as much as an event. Prayer is not an event. Something you go to, like a prayer meeting, like if some of you have been raised in the Catholic Church, and God bless you for the foundation that you have had of believing that God is real and that he's the Trinity. Praise God for that foundation in that church, right? But you've heard, read, heard, seen somebody read these prayers all your life, and it's never been like something that you can really experience, like a conversation with a loving father. This is what God intends prayer to be like, friends, that you can talk to him about anything. Isn't that amazing? You can talk to God, your heavenly father, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, about absolutely anything, without fear even. You can tell him. Doesn't he already know, by the way? (laughs) Don't think that prayer is something that you do while at church, before meals, at bedtime. Formal prayer is good, right? Praying together. Is that good? Yes? Prayer is something that you can do all the time. What if your worry turned into prayer? What if your confusion turned into prayer? Did you like that hand motion there? Turned into prayer. What if you just talked to God about the confusion instead of just mull it over in your mind to try to figure it out? What if you have a continual conversation with God the entire day about everything? How might that change the way you live tomorrow? What if you knew that God was with you every second of every day? Do you know how one way that you can know that? Is to just talk to him all the time? God, what? I I didn't like that. That guy cut me off in traffic, God. I really want to cuss at them right now. What do you think about that? You think I should do that? No? Okay, you're probably right. (laughs) Did you know that you're his beloved child in Christ? See, we have this weird perspective about prayer. Even, especially if you've grown up in a church like I've grown up in, where there's a very high view of God, which is really good, by the way, because God is so glorious, we can never comprehend that, right? You have a high view of God. He's exalted. He's not like us. He's other than us. At the same time, he's like us because he became like us. And so we have this perspective of prayer that we've got to try to do something like say magic words, you know. Or like before God's really going to listen to me, then I've got to think of everything I've ever done wrong in the last 24 hours in order to then allow him or permit him or encourage him now to listen to me so that actually I can actually be honest with him. Friends, I don't think that's how God wants us to talk to him as his children, as his daughter, and as his son, that he died, that he sent his son to die so he could have, friends. He loves you. He cares about you. 
Okay, so there's two verses here that I think can help you in, in, in being motivated to pray all the time without fear before God is your Father. And here's one, Hebrews 10, verse 10. Now, I'm talking to you, those of you that are actual Christians, by the way. If you're not a Christian, you, you probably don't talk to God very well, very much, and he probably doesn't hear you very good, by the way, because you don't belong to him because you haven't given your life to Christ. It's like you're talking to somebody for, through a wall, right? That, that's not a Christian, by the way. Jesus wants to open the door and for you to come inside. <laughs> he died so that you could come inside to the Holy of Holies where God the Father is. Turn from your sin. Surrender your life to Christ. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him. God wants that for you, friends, if you're not a Christian. Did you know you can talk to God like a heavenly father who loves you and cares for you, like crawling up in his lap like Caroline does when I'm sitting on my chair without being afraid? This is why God sent his son to die for you, friends. Do you know God like this? Some of you do, but you're afraid, and I think for no reason. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By that will, that's talking about the will of God, we have been sanctified, past tense, continual, implications we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of jesus christ once for all amen do you know what that means about you christian you're holy through the body of christ forever no need to be afraid to come before god the father i got nothing to fear here i'm holy in christ period Second one, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you know what Christ has done for you, friends? This is why it says later on in Hebrews, we come boldly before the throne of grace so that we can find mercy and help in time of need. You come with confidence. You don't have to tiptoe into the presence of God the Father if you know Christ. He invites you. He welcomes you. He sent his son for you. So you come with confidence. God, I thank you so much that I can talk to you right now in front of these people. Thank you so much that God, I'm so thankful that God is with me all the time and I can talk to him in my office or when I'm laying in my bed at night, you know, or when I wake up in the morning, I can say, good morning, Lord, and not have to do something to appease him in order to try to regain that relationship, right? Friends, don't you know that you can do this? Pray continually. Pray continually. That's the second thing he tells us to do. Are you ready for number three? Number three, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances, I said. Circumstances, number three, give thanks in all circumstances. Right there, give thanks in all circumstances. Notice the word in Give thanks in all circumstances. He does say at another time, give thanks for all circumstances, which is a different sermon. But this time he says, give thanks in all circumstances. So not before the circumstances and not after you see the result of the circumstances. But in the circumstances, you are to give thanks during the storm, in the middle of the trial, 
while the conflict is happening, give thanks, he says. Similar tune to the first one, isn't it? This verse gives us a reason to thank God for every circumstance. Do you see that? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is a time when the phrase God's will, sometimes this is just a side note because my mind is going here right now, so maybe it's going to be helpful. Sometimes God's will in the Bible refers to basically anything that's going to happen. It's definite, it's going to happen. Sometimes the phrase God's will refers to God's desire, things that he wants to happen. For example, um, right here in this verse, (laughs) it is God's will for you in Christ Jesus that you give thanks in all circumstances. doesn't mean you're always going to do it. I mean, do you always do it? I don't always do this, but he wants us to do it, so that's what this is talking about here. Every commentary I read says this phrase, this phrase, this is God's will, this is the will of God, modifies actually all those three commands and not just the last one. So in other words, you can say, rejoice always, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will that you do all of these things. He wants you to do all of these things. And then I'm left with the question, how am I supposed to do this? You wonder that? Like, don't these things seem a bit unrealistic, God? It's okay to say yes. I think so. Maybe you don't, maybe you're more spiritual than me. Teach me your ways after church, okay? But it seems a little unrealistic to me. Rejoice always. Pray all the time when my favorite basketball team loses, I'm not praying, okay? I'm complaining, and I'm mad at the University of Florida because they're idiots, okay? I'll tell you how I really feel later about them, okay? It doesn't seem super realistic, does it, to, uh, what was the last one again? Give thanks in all circumstances? That word all is pretty big, isn't it? How am I supposed to do this? Well, I think the phrase that helps us see how we're supposed to do it is those three little words that say, in Christ Jesus. Look at that again. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I think there's some implications that actually might be really helpful for you in this, in that little phrase, in Christ Jesus. In other words, God wants us to do these things in Christ Jesus. He doesn't want them to do, us to do these things apart from Christ as if we're trying to merit something here in order to earn his favor or something like that. He wants us to do these things in Christ Jesus, in the position of belonging to Christ, your identity being in him, do those things in Christ Jesus. And I have three implications of this for you right now. And number one is this. On number one through three, really quick. Can you go just to the first one here, brother? Here it is. This first implication. Doing these things in Christ gives freedom from having to earn something by doing them. Doing these things in Christ gives freedom from having to earn something 
by doing them. This is what uh, Lindsay and I were talking about earlier, or this, this week when I said, what do you think of when you hear this phrase, pray uh, continually and give thanks and all and, and rejoice always? She was like, ooh, guilty, you know? And I'm like, absolutely. I mean, there's no way I do this all the time. And honestly, there's a part of me that's still alive in me, even as a Christian. I've been a Christian for 28 years now. And there's this part of me that's still in there called my flesh that wants to complain (laughs) and grumble in the situations that I don't like. Is that for you too? Thank you (laughs) for admitting that you're a sinner too. I thought I was the only one there for a little bit. My flesh doesn't want to do this. And so now I've got to, what, earn something in order to do these things to appease God or something? Or No. No. Friends, this is, this is a really important sentence. And I did not put it on the screen. Maybe to emphasize its importance. I don't know. That was dumb. Here it is. Every expectation the Father has for you has already been done for you in Christ You hear what I'm saying? Everything the Father expects you to do in order to be His child has already been done for you in Christ. We talked about this a little while ago. Maybe it was Wednesday night. This idea of justification. It is not just a removal of your sin to put it on Christ at the cross. It is the receiving of His righteousness that lives in you and on you. Do you know what this means about you and your relationship with Father? He doesn't ever see you apart from in Christ. He doesn't ever see you as an estranged child. Actually, from eternity past, He has never seen you that way because it says He has chosen you in Christ before the foundation of the world. He's never seen you in that kind of way if you are a follower of him. I don't got to earn anything here, you know? What happens if you think you've got to earn something by doing these things, by praying? Oh, I've got to pray always. I've got to set a reminder on my phone to alert every single second. It's just just a constant you know for the whole day and if I do this I've got to earn something and God's happy with me do you know what is going to happen for you you're either going to do one or two things you're either going to become really arrogant and prideful and you're going to start looking down on people who don't do it as good as you are because this is about your works this is about your effort come on dude pull yourselves up by your bootstraps I did it that's not a Christian or you're going to be so much in despair you're going to have no hope I ruined it again. I did it again. I messed up again. I messed up again. I messed up again. And some of you think of God and like that, like he's, you don't know the good news. There's good news, friends. You're free. You're free from the law. Do you know who you are, Christian? doing this in Christ, second implication of this, it gives motivation to do them more and more. Now you're talking about motivation to do what God's word says. I mean, wow. Nothing motivates me like knowing 
that it's already done for me in Christ when I have not done it and I deserve hell. (laughs) Nothing else motivates me more to do what God's word says. Jesus Christ prayed perfectly all the time. And his credit has been given to you. Jesus Christ thanked God for even the most difficult circumstances. The night before he was betrayed, he took the cup and he thanked God. He's about to be betrayed and go to the cross the next day. And he thanks God. He knows what that cup symbolizes. His blood that's about to be poured out for sinners the very next day. He knows what that bread symbolizes when he breaks it. It's his body that's about to be broken on the cross. And he thanks God. And that is credited to you through faith in Christ. So thank God in every situation. So talk to God about everything. So rejoice in everything. This is the motivation, isn't it? You're feeling frustrated. Something happens and you grumble and you grow bitter and you, instead of rejoice. Which is probably going to happen this week. For me. You remember the command to rejoice always. You initially feel guilty. Oh, I didn't rejoice. I'm not rejoicing in this. I don't see how I'm supposed to rejoice in this. The guy just cut me off in traffic. You feel guilty. But then you confess your grumbling is sin. And then you remember, because the Holy Spirit lives in your heart, and he reminds you of the truth of God's word, you remember that Christ never grumbled or complained. And you remember that his righteousness has been given to you. And the Father sees you in that. And your heart says, I love you. I love you, God. What happens? You rejoice. (laughs) And then you start to see all these other situations that are difficult in your life. And remind yourselves of the time you didn't rejoice. And then remind yourself of the rejoicing that you have in Christ. And that leads you to rejoice even in those difficult situations. Rejoice more and more and more and more and more. There's the second application. If that made any sense. Some of you did. Number three, it's third implication. It gives confidence to do these things. Your being in Christ gives you confidence to rejoice always and confidence to pray all the time and confidence to thank God for every situation. You pray with confidence and boldness all the time because you are in Christ and he doesn't hear your prayers because of your performance this week. He doesn't hear your prayers because you read your Bible enough or didn't gossip or because you gave enough money or because you didn't cuss as much or whatever. He hears your prayers because of Christ. And so you come with confidence and boldness before the throne of grace. You're in Christ and so you thank him and you rejoice in all circumstances because you know that if God has given you his son and the spirit of Christ is in you, then it is impossible for him to not work all things for your good. The more something costs, the more you're going to ensure it's taken care of. Listen to that again. The more something costs, 
the more you're going to ensure it's taken care of, right? I have a very nice guitar. That's her right there. I named my guitars. She doesn't have a name. You got any ideas? Let me know. This guitar is the nicest guitar I've ever owned. It's a Martin guitar. Martin guitars are better than other kind of guitars. Some of the best kinds of guitars. You got Martin, Taylor's really good too, you know. Got a cheapos like Takamini, you know, like spend a hundred bucks or something. Like, no, that's, no, that's not great. You know, it's fine. Let me not, 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 let me not knock your instrument. It's fine, but it's not just as nice, right? You know what? I keep this guitar in a case when I'm not playing it. You cannot play my guitar. I'm sorry. My wife gave it to me. She spent a lot of money. I'm not letting just anybody play my guitar, right? I have a humidifier that I put inside the sound hole. It's a little sponge that you fill with water in order to keep it moist so the the wood doesn't split like it did last winter. I keep it closed. I keep it in my locked office. Because I don't want people touching my guitar. In case you can't tell, I'm a little particular. Why? Because it's valuable. It's valuable to me, right? My wife spent a lot of money on that guitar. You see where I'm going with this? Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What is it that I said earlier? The more something costs, the more you're going to ensure it's taken care of. This is why you can rejoice in suffering. This is why you can give thanks in every situation. Do you know how much God paid for you? Do you know how much the Father paid for you, friends? The blood of his own son. Your ransom fixed. Your value fixed at the cross of Jesus Christ. If he spent that much Don't you think he's going to ensure that he takes care of what he bought? This doesn't feel like he's taking care of me. This feels like hell. What you feel is not always true, is it? You got to remind yourself, what did he pay for me? What did he pay for me? What did he pay for me? What does that mean about how much he values me? If he spent that much, even if it feels like hell, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. If he spent that much, isn't he going to take care of you? You would never spend that much on something in your life and then just throw it away and then just allow things to happen to it outside of what you you want to know where it is. You want to know what's happening to it. You want to take care of it, right? The Father is taking care of you and even the difficult things 
are for your good. Because it makes you more like Jesus. And because you get more glory, a taste more and more of what's coming. And so you rejoice, friends. You rejoice. You rejoice. You thank God. You sing those songs next Sunday, which is a command, by the way. You sing those songs about glory and praise to God. You do not close your mouth. You choose to believe what God's word says. You thank God for those difficult things. You say, thank you, God, for these trials. And in the middle of it, you stop your grumbling and your complaining because you're going through difficulty. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, says in Hebrews. Have you forgot the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reprieved by him. The Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises every son whom he approves. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? If we are left without discipline, we are illegitimate children and not sons. And so you rejoice. And you say, thank you, God. Why don't you do it right now? Let's pray.